This is Market Insights, the Market Pulse podcast by Oanda. I'm Johnny Hart talking to Oanda's senior market analysts across the world. Let's join Craig Earlham in London. Good afternoon, Craig. Good afternoon, mate. How are you? Very well, but it's been a quiet start to the week, has it not? I suppose unsurprising, bearing in mind that it's a public holiday in the United States. But there are there is some activity. It really has been a very quiet start to the week. I mean, it's not surprising, let's face it. We've got a US bank holiday today. We are seeing naturally thin trading, which is always the case on a day like today. And it tends to be a real indication of to what we can ultimately expect throughout the session, not just when the US ultimately joins. And then you look at the economic calendar and there really is nothing on that economic calendar that's going to generate any activity. It's littered with a few tier three economic releases that are not really going to grab people's attention. Maybe some pieces of interest, but it's not going to move the markets in any significant way. Sometimes I just think it's also a good thing for the markets, especially the last 18 months. Everything's been so fast paced. So much activity, so much volatility, so so much news flow driving these markets. I think days like today, you almost welcome it because there's so few of these, it seems, these days. You kind of take the break and know that it's not going to last very long. There was a little bit of a spike for shares in China overnight. Why was that? So I think it's still linked to optimism around the reopening. We're often seeing the Shanghai Composite, for example, actually performing not necessarily aligned with the rest of Asia, let alone the rest of the world. And it's because we are seeing the transition from zero COVID to living with it. And with that, we're seeing pieces of economic data like the PMI surveys, which is giving plenty of cause for optimism. And I think there is a growing belief now that China can really bounce back really strongly this year and be the kind of shining light in what is going to be a much slower global economy. And when we're seeing these kind of reports come out of the transition period going quite well, then it tends to give a a boost to the share prices as well. We also overnight had the release of the loan prime rates. So the one and five year loan prime rate. So this is what short term loans, but also things like mortgages are based off. And there was no cut on this occasion, but that's not surprising. We tend to see moves in line with what happens with the medium term lending facility. That rate was released a week ago and that was unchanged. So it would have been surprising if we'd seen any cuts today. But over the next two months, that is expected to change. So once the reopening starts to gather at a bit of pace, then the central bank is expected to cut those rates, which is going to act as an additional boost, almost turbocharge the recovery. So that's going to be one I think we're going to be watching very closely now over the next couple of months to see how serious China is about turbocharging this recovery and how committed it is to driving levels of growth that we haven't seen, frankly, in a very long time. Interesting to note that on Friday, the benchmark gas price fell below 50 euros per megawatt hour for the first time in almost 18 months, Sir Craig. So there's growing confidence that European countries will avoid shortages this winter and next. But bearing in mind what you've just said, the gas price might start to go up because of this recovery in China. That is certainly an upside risk this year for commodity price as a whole. It's not just gas. We're talking about oil. We're talking about iron ore. We're talking about many different commodities, really, where we're likely to see an increase in demand linked to how strong the Chinese economy ultimately recovers. The good thing for now is, as you say, gas prices are still steadily declining. That's driven by a number of different factors, one of which is the fact that we've had unseasonably warm weather uh, over the course of this winter. And what that ultimately means is that stocks in Europe have been drained much more slowly and 
we also have to bear in mind that they were much higher going into the winter period. So if you look at the average now of uh, gas storage in Europe, it's at around 83.5%, so that's much higher than we would normally see around this time of year. And it means that Europe, to a great extent, is shielded, at least for the foreseeable future, from any escalation in Russia, from the loss of that remainder of Russian gas, or from any disruptions elsewhere that could cause potentially a troublesome scenario but we are still talking near term already people are looking ahead to next winter and say well if the stars don't align for europe again next winter could be much more difficult if we get a colder winter for example then it could be much more difficult but europe has positioned itself very well so far and done a lot of work so far to enable itself to be in the position that it currently is and because of that gas prices start to climb which means the pressures should ease start to ease up in the energy market as well these things can obviously change quite quickly and i'm sure there will be much more volatility to come but at this point in time as i said the stars have aligned quite well and now it seems we're in a much better position so that gas prices are as you say at those 18 month lows one of the upside risks as you've just alluded to is china though and if we do see this strong turbocharged economic recovery in china and we start to see more demand china is the world's largest importer of crude oil for example then we will naturally see higher demand and if you see supply shortages on top of that then i'm sure the dynamics will change and we'll see that reflected more in the price but at this point in time we're coming towards the end of winter and it feels like everyone can breathe at least for now a huge sigh of relief that one potential troublesome period has passed and uh, hopefully we will start to see that reflected more in wholesale prices but that also end prices as well uh, at some point in the future and ironic of course that the anniversary of the ukraine war is this week the return of prices to 2021 levels is a bit of a, a setback for vladimir putin ahead of that first anniversary but a win-win at the moment for the west it does seem that way but obviously these things do change quite rapidly um so i don't think anyone's going to be getting uh, complacent uh, on that and i think what's going to be interesting is what the next package or two of sanctions actually look like in terms of how effective price caps are for example in reining in uh, russian revenues uh, on these uh, oil and gas sales and what impact that will ultimately have for the russian economy but also uh, what happens in ukraine uh, as well there's still so many moving parts and that's the ultimately the really difficult thing at this point in time there are so many moving parts so many factors at play it feels like a long time since we've even talked about opec plus when it comes to the oil market because there's been so much focus on china and on russia and uh, and on other things we haven't really been talking about opec plus and at once upon a time not too long ago that was all we were talking about but that seems to have gone a little bit quieter now that now that output is steadied it's recovered back from pre-pandemic levels we had that two million barrel cut and now it seems that the markets are relatively balanced. But as I say, that could change. That could change because we see a stronger China bounce back. It could also change if we do see prices more broadly start to settle down and the impact on inflation and on the global economy is less severe. So there's lots of things that are going to be moving parts in this. They're going to keep markets uh, kind of on their toes and I think is going to ensure that the volatility that we've become accustomed to, I don't think is going to be going away anytime soon. And finally, what else is happening for the rest of this week? So it's not the busiest week, I'll be perfectly honest. There is a decent amount of economic data, I guess. I think the standout things this week is going to be the Fed minutes on Wednesday. Uh, even though I always say that they feel a little bit outdated, we hear from so many different Fed speakers and now there's so much transparency. 
I always wonder what exactly it is we're ultimately going to learn uh, from those minutes. Maybe the more important one is going to be the inflation data and income spending on data on Friday, so the core PC price index. You'll remember we got the CPI a couple of weeks ago, and that was a big setback because it showed that inflation was much more stubborn, uh, even though it was declining, it was declining at a slower rate. So we'll see what the core PCE data has to say on that and whether that's going to give the Fed any comfort. The calculations are slightly different, so uh, we could see a slightly different trend. But the fact that you also get income and spending data at the same time always makes that a really interesting report. And then you've got things like the RBNZ meeting on Wednesday as well. Not at the end of their tightening cycle yet. 50 basis points seems highly likely. And it seems that maybe other central banks may be even having the 50 basis point conversation based on some of the economic data that we've had. Recently, you look at the change in stance from the RBA, for example, because inflation has remained a much bigger problem and continued to rise. You see the changing expectations from the Federal Reserve, uh, for example, with we've gone from three weeks ago, the market's pricing in one more hike this year and maybe two cuts later in the year. And now the markets are pricing in between two and three rate hikes this year and possibly no rate cuts at all later this year. Expectations have been shifting quite dramatically and quite rapidly uh, in very short periods of time. And who knows where we'll stand at the end of this week. But I think two of the most important things in determining that is going to be, or three most important things, is going to be the inflation date Friday, the minutes on Wednesday, and the Fed speak that we have littered throughout the week. Okay, Craig, thanks very much for joining us this afternoon. Thank you very much. Market Insights, the Market Pulse podcast by Oanda.